0: Welcome to Clear the Air. An open and transparent podcast that will dive into all hot topics advertising related. Today's episode is a special edition rebroadcast of a recent UCLA Anderson School of Management event titled Starting and Advancing a Career in Analytics, a Minority Perspective. RPA's very own Phil Irvine served as a panelist for this roundtable that took place at UCLA's Embracing Diversity Weekend in mid-November. This is a weekend designed to introduce prospective minority MBA students to MBA life at UCLA and dive into career-related topics to help guide their futures. Hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Hey, hey everyone. Um, Thank you for joining for our first official installment of Embracing Diversity Week. So I'm Zoe. I am graduating in about three weeks, which is crazy to believe. And I'm the current um, EDI rep for our program. But since you didn't come here, To hear about me, let's focus on our panelists today. And our session is called um, Starting and Advancing a Career in Analytics. And so our amazing, five amazing panelists will be joining us for the next hour to share insights into how they got where they are today and where they see analytics going. And I'm sure you all read their bios before, but I still think it would be nice to hear a quick intro from everyone. Um, maybe start with your name, where you work, and a fun fact. Actually, instead of a fun fact, let's do your favorite Thanksgiving dish.
2: I guess I can uh, I can kick it off. Um, so Phil Irvine, uh, Vice President of Audience Intelligence at RPA, which is a full-service, uh, independent media and advertising agency based out of here in uh, Santa Monica. So we're we're basically on point for all uh, audience research and audience development activities for all uh, digital media and offline media for uh, clients that we support. And my favorite Thanksgiving dish—I I love just about everything, but my mother made the greatest macro- layered macaroni and cheese, probably ever. So it's—it's uh, it's something I actually still have her ship out to me whenever whenever I can, even though we're we're apart now. But uh, yeah.
1: Nice. I probably shouldn't have asked that because it's lunchtime and I feel like we'll all be hungry. Um, Angela, do you want to go next? Sure. So um, hi, my name is Angela Baltas.
3: I work for um, APEI, which is American Public Education Incorporated. Uh, We are the business unit of uh, three colleges, Rasmussen, Alejandro's College, and American Military University. And so I am the senior research analyst in strategic analytics. And we're going through a lot of great changes. We're looking to expand our analytics. We're going to be, we're going to, we're establishing an analytics center. So we build a lot of great Tableau dashboards. We, um, we're we working on machine learning models to really predict um, uh, student retention. Um, we're looking at some maybe marketing focuses and things that other departments can use, uh, things geared towards students and faculty engagement and really um, how to improve our uh, our services as a university system. And as far as uh, Thanksgiving, I love stuffing. I can eat so much stuffing. It can be the good stuff, or it could be the stuff that comes in the box. You just add water.
1: So uh, yeah, all the carbs, <laughs> I love carbs. I second that, carbs for me too.
0: Um, next on my screen, I see JJ. Hey, hey Zoe. Hey everyone. Thank you for having us. My name is JJ Espinoza. Um, I work at Amazon Web Services as a uh, senior architect, cloud architect, uh, focusing on artificial intelligence and machine learning. I've, uh, you know, through, through my career, I've mainly been in media and entertainment, uh, working on machine learning, data, data analytics. Um, I've also been, a you know, a leader of data science teams and worked at several media entertainment companies. So, um, yeah, I really love AI, cloud-based uh, machine learning stuff. It's it's uh, it's fun. And uh, Thanksgiving, okay. So I I have a lot of favorite dishes, like like people said. But my my top one, my top one, is something called naca tamales. And uh, in Central America, uh, we make some tamales, and they are not like the regular tamales you've probably had. Like they have everything. They have meat, rice, potatoes. Green pepper, I mean, they're giant. So those things are a full meal in and of them themselves. Uh, so, oh yeah, someone's saying they love Naka tamales. Yeah, if, if you guys ever get a chance, like it blows all other tamales out of the water, like hands down. So that's my favorite dish.
1: Awesome, I'm going to look that up. I'm sure there's somewhere in LA that makes it, there has to be. Yeah. Okay, so Danielle, oh yeah, I see Danielle. Do you want to go? Sure. Hi, my name is
4: Danielle Robbins, and I lead the digital analytics team at Capital Group, an asset management company. Uh, There, my team is responsible for typical product analytics as well as enablement. So we get to house ourselves in between working a lot with uh, our IT partners, as well as doing traditional product analytics analysis. And I've been there for a little over two years. Uh, Everyone has said something that I really enjoy to eat because I just like eating all of the food for Thanksgiving. But... uh, I will say that I, I am missing my grandmother's uh, sweet potatoes or yams, depending on what she uses. So I'm looking forward to having that again in the future.
1: Awesome. And last but not least, Leandra.
5: Hey, I am Leandra Gonzalez, I'm based in LA. I work at an advertising agency called W Promote. Nelson Gundo. I'm the director of data analysis. And our team oversees all of our marketing science initiatives for our client portfolio. And it's weird to announce that I'm still at that company because I'm actually having another job next month. I'm going to be at Microsoft next month on their analytics, advertising, and insights group. Um, but if anyone's interested in interested in W Promote, I still highly recommend because they are an amazing company. In terms of my Thanksgiving food. I think I think Angela stole mine. I really like stuffing. Um, but you know, I'm a basic Midwestern girl and I actually really love deviled eggs. Um, it's a basic dish, but it's so good. So I'll say that. I'm surprised we didn't
1: get any dessert answers. I guess I'm the only sweet tooth <laughs> in here. Um, so awesome. And so basically how we'll do this is. I will ask a question and then everyone can answer or one person can answer or just a couple of people. Uh, If you don't have an answer, you can definitely pass. And yeah, I think actually how we should do it, let's break it up into two parts. So the first half, we'll just talk about more like where you are today and how you got there. And then the second half, we'll focus more on like where things are going and what you see the future of analytics be. Does that sound good? Okay. So first question. So does anyone have a less traditional path to analytics? Maybe you didn't even study it in school and then you ended up there. Angela, do you want to share? So my bachelor's
3: degree is in criminology. Um, Looking back, it was data-driven, but in 2008, when I graduated um, with my bachelor's, there was no such thing as I never heard of data science, data analytics. That wasn't a, a buzz at the time. So um, I got my degree in criminology and then I pursued public administration um, and really fell into data analytics in 2012 um, just because I saw a job and it sounded interesting. Never studied it in, in specifically. So uh, very non-traditional. Um, And then I got a degree in information technology around 2014. That's when I started working in the field. So I was not a CS student, not a statistics student. I found this by accident.
5: I have a similar um, sort of origin story. My undergraduate was in music and business. So um, I thought I was going to be a performer, a violin player for my life. And then I realized that um, That's not easy for one. And then for two, um, my business courses I really took a liking to. And the interesting thing was when I was deciding on my major, it was between actuarial science and music because I was always a huge math fan. So, although my undergraduate wasn't technical, um, I did do an internship with the Ohio Department of Insurance as an actuarial science intern. Um, And that was sort of my introduction to more technical stuff with statistics and um, programming. And then it was later on when I went to graduate school where I was exposed to even more technical stuff. um, And I just found that the jobs that honestly used me more were the ones where they needed someone with quantitative skill. Um, Even when I tried to go into the creative route, I was usually the one they were asking for you know, in ana- analysis type work, so I uh, just kind of embraced it and fell into it by accident as well.
2: Yeah, I, I was going to say, um, I'll, I'll piggyback on the the last point she just mentioned. Um, so, I'm a I'm a full time uh, Anderson grad from 2009, and I you know I think what was interesting is I always had a vision that I wanted to be a, in some type of general manager type capacity, and um, when marketing concepts and marketing kind of careers were presented to us, it was the perception that I had was that it was purely a creative field. And what I found over the last nine years, um, I've basically carved out a path working in uh, different facets of marketing with a focus on direct to consumer um, type marketing. And kind of the way that I fell into analytics in my role right now is I found that, you know, with each step, data is such an integral part with the development of whether it's a campaign a commercial a creative spot it's it's interesting because my perception completely flipped from it being purely you know a creative field where people just have that natural ability where uh, now data and research is so much a, an integral part of the conceptualization of you know ads and the way that you message to consumers to drive revenue and uh that's really what what has piqued my interest and led me toward uh the path that I'm on uh right now. So awesome. I, go ahead, JJ. Oh,
4: uh, ladies first, you go ahead. Oh, I appreciate that. Um I would say I guess my path is technically non-traditional because I am a biomathematician by training, uh, but I work in digital and lead very technical teams and do a lot of analytics. Uh Uh, In my path, I thought I was going to be a professor and did a postdoc, did all of those things and was really into building models on data that you have to build yourself. But I I understood the importance of data and how it can, if you understand data and understanding trends, you could tell a lot of different stories. And so I, by happenstance, ended up in marketing analytics and went through a was taught a lot in my first two years about the importance of kind of feel what you're saying the importance of how marketing is not this just this creative space anymore it's a very can be a very technical space too and it really opened my eyes to oh I could have studied some different things in college beyond just math I could have done a lot of uh, a lot of other different courses so while I have the math and stats background, I was definitely not applying it in the way that I do now and I have for almost the last 10 years. So I, I will say that there are multiple ways, as you can see from all of us who've spoken just now, and I'm sure JJ is gonna share a really interesting view too, to get to uh, the space of analytics uh, in different in different fields within, within corporate.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think like, I mean, when I was just starting to, when I was just in college, I had a professor kind of tell me, Hey, if you, you know, study computers and math um, and you like that, you're going to have a pretty interesting job probably for the rest of your life. Uh, Whether it was like you were, you know, sending people to the moon in the sixties or like all the stuff that we're doing now. So for me, I, um, I really like the business part of it. I I studied at UCLA uh, double major in math and economics and the reason i got the math degree was really cuz i thought um, at least at the time it was a really good path to a phd program i loved all the modeling all the public policy like how you know what are the best laws to you know kind of pass to help poverty and and all these great things and um and but then i also you know wanted to make you know some money so i took a bunch of banking classes and finance classes and right in 2007 2008 You know, the campus was full of like all the consulting companies, all the investment banks. People were getting offers. I think Phil's nodding his head, right? So, And I was like, oh, this is going to be sweet. I'm going to be an economist. I'm going to like work in like, I don't know, investment banking or something. And then 2009, no one was recruiting at all. And I remember sending out like, you know, 100 resumes or something. And because I was like, oh, I'm in, you know, because because of what I studied. But none of of the stuff, I not none of the stuff, but most of the classes and the way I was tailoring my resume, No one was hiring in banking at all. There was like a huge uh, financial collapse, but I had this math degree and uh, they hired me to do some programming initially at a a startup. And I really just kept applying my statistical knowledge wherever I went. I went into grad school uh, still with the idea of, hey, I'm going to be an economist one day. Um, But, you know, I always focused on the the numbers portion of, of solving business problems. And uh, I, honestly, uh, programming—I had to take one programming class at, uh, for my math degree. Uh, I couldn't stand it. It—it uh, it was literally like my lowest grade. And uh, in the whole my, whole, my whole, my whole, i do it for like a living now. I just, did, just didn't think I had the right. Um, it was during summer school. It was like it was just tough. Everyone had taken programming classes before me, so like the teacher was like, "Oh, everyone's taking programming. I'll just skip all the introductory stuff." And of course, I fell behind. I didn't like it turns out like I've taught myself five or six different programming languages over time, really used my math skills and uh, taken advantage. And I've still used a lot of my economic and financial skills that I learned to put all of those kind of analysis, not just as something cool to do or something fun to do, but hey, how does this translate to like an outcome or a business outcome? That's really helped me in my career.
1: That's awesome. So like despite everyone's different backgrounds, it sounds like what you had in common is kind of a quantitative base. Um, so what skills would you say that you need to have, like, when you're starting versus what skills can you learn as you
0: go? Initially, right, when you're starting out, you're probably going to be an analyst somewhere or, you know, senior analyst somewhere if you have a master's degree, right? In in that situation, um, there's some key fundamental things you probably, if you're going to work with data, you probably should know. You should probably either know like SQL, right? Like to just pull data from databases, Python, those are like really tactical things, right? Like you just gotta be able to do that. Like it's come almost like table stakes when you're coming in, like know how to pull data, know how to graph it, know how to chart it, analyze it. Um, those are things you're definitely gonna have to do. I think part of the things that you'll learn uh, that's very hard to teach uh, in school is just how to apply those to whatever industry you're in. There's a lot of knowledge from senior executives, a lot of problems that have been solved before. Uh, and you may only have a glimpse of them in school and that that's normal right? Uh, they, they can't prepare you for every single nuance of every single industry. So that's something that i would say you know as you get in and you're you know writing code and pulling data and doing analyses you know really really try to learn and, and about the industry even you know looking at the financials of the industry how does your company or organization make money where it's cost basic stuff like that can go a long way for you know as you as you're growing your career, I think it'll be very helpful.
4: Yeah, and I would add to, um, along with the basic coding and um, learning the business when you're there, being curious, I think, is something that always makes a really good analyst. Um, asking questions, I, I, I'm always, I, I co-run an early career program, training program for analysts, for data analysts at our company now. And one of my favorite things is that they ask questions and they ask, they're asking all the things that You might have forgotten to ask because you've been working someplace for so long. And I I just think that curiosity is so uh, as a to be a good data analyst, it's something you need because you'll you'll keep asking the next question to go deeper, to really pull out that insight that could make the difference in the business. And if you pair that with learning the business while having your key coding skills, uh, your key kind of, you know, you take all of the academic courses that you're taking, it really can make for a really cool career in analytics.
2: Yeah, I think um uh the curiosity point is is a is a really really important one. I think, you know, with my team that I manage and with um so in our structure, I manage our audience team. We also have a team called research, analytics and insights and you know, the thing that I that I see that separates people is is that curiosity but also um, the notion if 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 you have a hypothesis and the data doesn't support what your initial hypothesis or story that you're going for says, you know, how do you go about pivoting? What your narrative is, or how you communicate what the data is showing? Because my philosophy is, is regardless of what the data is showing, there's always a story or some type of takeaway. And I think a lot of you know people when they're early in their careers, they just get stuck if the data doesn't support where their their head goes. And so the ability to be flexible and the ability to to pivot. And change your narratives or what the, you know, the objectives are of what you're what you're working on. I think is a it's a huge thing that i that I perceive that's been a differentiator for people, especially when you're first starting out in your careers too.
5: Yeah, I would say to add to what Phil and Danielle and JJ said earlier, um, comfort with ambiguity is something that I think you're just going to learn. Um I'm not sure if if I don't think you can really learn that in school just because um obviously to learn the fundamentals you have to have some guardrails but in the business world um things aren't always you know sliced and diced so pretty the data is not always very clean um the business challenge that you're trying to solve might have various requirements and the assumptions of a model that you're using might not necessarily jive with those those requirements and so Just being comfortable with not knowing something initially, I think is very important, Um, but you will learn that over time with experience.
3: I would like to uh, also add, so with the ambiguity, is something I found is that um, a lot of the times leaders are looking for you to answer questions for them. So they'll sometimes just say, just go find answers. And so that ambiguity and being curious Um, And also being really uh, self-motivated will take you pretty far in this field. And you'll, as you um, progress in your field, you'll build upon that. You'll get better at it. And you'll just, you'll have these questions that once you look at a data set that you'll want to start to uh, answer yourself and you'll bring to leaders, have you considered this? And they'll go, oh, that's interesting. So uh, yeah, being comfortable with that ambiguity, being comfortable with being self-motivated, and really being curious is uh, is what this field's about really.
1: Those are all good points. Like despite the MSBA being a technical program it's still in the business school. So it's definitely important to have both, you know, the coding skills plus like the business acumen. Um, do you, so I know there's like two different paths with analytics, some could go and stay down the technical route and be like a data scientist, can you talk about what roles are more on the business side where you're working more strategy um, versus like the technical ones where you're in SQL or Python all day?
4: I mean, I I guess when you get more like at the managerial level and director level, of course, you're in, you're dealing more with strategy, you're, you're a partner with your stakeholders and helping them make uh, decisions. But I always stay in SQL (laughs) and the ability to to code here and there. I mean, it's one of the ways that I help train my associates and also I'm curious and I want to know what's going on in the data as well. Um, But I do think as you um, kind of move into those spaces or if you go into like the data governance route, um, those become places that uh, you're working closely with the business and still uh, and helping and helping make decisions. But I think in the data science ecosystem, you'll still always have a technical component because even if you're not programming day to day, you'll wanna know the latest technologies, you'll wanna know the latest approaches to how to solve a problem so that you recognize, okay, this is a good algorithm to use, or no, this is a good technology to bring on to to the company to use. So uh, I think it's it's definitely relative. Um, So I don't think there's like a one size fits all answer.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, I I know one thing, um, Zoe. I know we wanted to touch on was kind of what's what's what are the trends like? Where's analytics going in the future? And I I guess you know an observation that I've seen is when I first graduated, a lot of kind of analytics departments seemed like they uh, kind of operated in a silo, and they would maybe support a finance department, a marketing department, a sales department, and they would just kind of get pulled in you know, after the fact in like planning sessions for those departments, or maybe to measure uh, uh, campaigns or activities from a from a post kind of campaign perspective. I think what what's happening now and, you know, not to plug RPA here, but, you know, the way that our group sits is we sit right in between our strategic planning uh, teams and our investment team. So, Uh, Strategic planning is basically all of the activities with figuring out like what types of creative spots do we want to put together to promote a product, a car or, or, you know, or whatever. And then investment is the actual media buying activities. So the people that are, uh, you know, buying the programmatic media or paid search or social and whatnot. And we sit right in between that whole process. And I, I just, you know, not just at RPA, but what I've seen at other agencies and other brands, um, You know that that core skill set of data science and analytics—it's being asked to be a part of a lot of these upfront, you know, strategic and planning types of activities. And that's why I'm a big fan of this, you know, this career path. And I see where there's going to be more and more opportunities to leverage that, you know, those these these core skill sets in to have a
0: greater impact on how a company evolves from a a strategic perspective. So, yeah, agreed. I think like I think it wasn't like that you know 10 12 years ago. it's definitely accelerating I can, I can tell um I, I think if if you're if you like the technical path but let's say your passion isn't uh, like what I, I do a bunch of technical things every day but I also work with folks I mean I, it was the same when I was at Facebook which um, are kind of selling the services that Amazon is selling, right? Or or, or trying to get other companies to utilize some cloud technology, artificial intelligence technology. So a lot of them are business focused and they're kind of on the front line explaining this to senior executives. And then what ends up happening, it was was the same at Facebook. Um, They may need help. They may say, hey, I wanna implement this for our company or I wanna build a multi-touch attribution model on AWS or some sort of marketing ad tech stuff. Um, Can you guys help us? That's what our team does. So then our team will jump in there. But many times, especially as you start getting more experience, they may bring me in early in the conversation because although the, the folks uh, that the, a lot of them are business and engineering skills that are like the, on the account teams and their goal is, you know, m- a little bit different than mine, but their goal is to, you know, drive adoption of our services. There may be some, uh, you know, a Danielle and Angela, Leonardo, Phil on the call. And they're going to be a leader of in data science, and they're going to ask maybe some tougher technical questions. So then they may have me on 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 the call, right? So I feel like I'm in a spot where I can kind of go to more of the leadership portion, or more of the, or or stay on the technical track. But there's definitely a lot of roles for people if you don't, you know, want to, you know, code in Linux all day. There, it's and it's expanding a lot more, right? If we were having this conversation way back, like like I mentioned, like in the '50s. When people like, te- people like us are probably working like in NASA or something, you know, we'd probably be in a back room doing some engineering in a corner somewhere. Important work, but uh, we wouldn't be like at the table where things are happening. But that, that's changed, that's, which is great.
1: And this is actually a great segue to a question I received in the chat. By the way, if anyone has any questions, feel free to just drop them in the chat and Freeney's monitor- monitoring them. So someone asked, so not everyone wants to go into analytics, obviously, but for those who um, want to work with data scientists and analysts, how best can they communicate with you and collaborate and you know ask for their needs? Because um, I know sometimes like the communication can be a challenge. Cross functionally.
0: I, I can I, I could probably jump in on this one too. Um, so I think there's different ways and different types of of, of trainings you can do to help. Commun- I took Toastmasters classes right when I was an analyst. I can get additional public speaking skills because it goes both ways, right? It's it's the business communicating with the technical and the technical communicating with the business. It has to kind of go both ways. But I'll say if, if you're looking to talk to engineers and, you know, really learn uh, some of the ways they, that they work, some of them are like called Scrum or Agile, you know, you may want to look into like product management courses. There's like a product school that'll teach you how to like wireframe ideas, which is like create websites, uh, yeah, like fake websites that you may want them to build. Um, you know, there's ways to, they work, tend to work in sprints. They tend to have this very structured way of working to deliver products. So just kind of understand first, like the way that they work, how they do their day-to-day job. And, uh, I think that that can go a long way. Also, I think if you just frame it in your, like the business problem you're trying to solve, you know, what data you have, you know, um, that that can go it all starts and ends with the data most of the time. So what data you have, what variables you have, I would start with that and then tell them I want to improve this metric. And then I think everyone will be speaking the same language and then kind of let them worry about you know the algorithms or whatever that is. you, you don't have to go too deep into that because that's their job. But if you give them the data and here's the objective, I think uh, I think that, that that'll go a long way you know for you in communicating with uh, technical folks
2: yeah i mean, i think uh, i think jJ some summed that up perfectly. i i guess you know back to the curiosity theme that we were speaking out before. um you know one thing that i've found that's helped me to be successful with you know building relationships with with team members and other functions at companies i've been at is is taking an interest in their world and what they're working on and then why you know they're they're prioritizing certain activities or pursuing certain things like i I found when you when you kind of can, you know, it, you want to make it authentic, but if you show that you have a legitimate interest in kind of their world and why they're doing what they do, um, they'll be more likely to reciprocate, you know, whatever needs you have or projects that you're trying to, you know, get off the ground or to complete it. You know, this kind of delves into just, you know, how to, how to form good cross-functional relationships, but that's, that's definitely kind of a tactic that, I, that I've used with the multiple roles that I've had, where I've had to work, you know, with all types of cross-functional teams in the past, so.
1: Awesome, I, so we just passed the halfway mark, so I just wanna ask one more question in this half. Um, and that is, what is the biggest challenge that you had to face either in your role or in your career progression um, that you feel comfortable sharing with us?
3: can share, um, actually. Uh, So something I have experienced in pretty much every company I've ever worked in has been when leadership does not necessarily align with what we're doing in analytics. Uh, Sometimes uh, leaders have been brought in that have very little experience with analytics or have a completely different objective. And uh, so we don't align. So we still need to do the work, but they have their own thing that they're trying to do. So that's been very challenging. And that has come up essentially everywhere. So um, having a champion on your team, that's still pushing your work forward uh, is really, really helpful. And it's challenging when your leader on top is wanting to do things that are different, that adds more work to your, uh, your agenda that doesn't really help the company.
4: I would agree wholeheartedly to that. Um, Every place that I have done analytics, you you definitely face that. So it definitely, you have to learn and build your skills of influence and, and hitting all of the different people who will help make that decision. And sometimes it takes two, two years to get something across the finish line that uh, is pretty to, to folks like us who are analytics, people who are reading the numbers. It, it's pretty straightforward, but I think that um, to Angela's point that comes with the territory. I, I think most of us have face it at multiple companies and it's not losing your resilience and, and to keep, and to keep pushing and then understanding, making the decision of like when it's worth it to keep pushing versus when it's worth it to just kind of, you played it all out on the line, uh, put all of the information out there and to just let it go. That can be really, really difficult when you know something is definitely the right answer. Uh, It's an approach that would help move things forward, but being okay with, having to just let it be placed to the side for for a bit because sometimes um, most times it does come back and uh, and you're able to move forward with the project but uh, I think at at points in time due to the leadership it can just be business at that at that point in time and one person's vision for, versus another person's
0: yeah that's right and I remember I remember presenting uh, a project that uh, at a company I was at and it was kind of like No, we don't. No, we don't think that's the right answer or the right way to go. And then um, I wound up leaving uh, because I had another opportunity. And then someone else came and found that work in some deck somewhere. I was like, who did this? Who did this work? This is like, we should have done this. Bring that person. They're like, oh, he's gone. And then I got a phone call later, like, hey, you want to come back for like a manager position here? And, And I did. Right. So You know, there's don't give up on ideas that go far. Um, Okay, so one thing that's a challenge in my world is really like um, there's a lot of uh, data and analytics. um, There's a lot of value there. Right. And uh, because my title is is focusing mainly on artificial intelligence, I'm like on a subset of that and on a specific area. And there's a lot of hype around, you know, this area. And uh, I think a a lot of times my job uh, as someone who's like really kind of understands the technology to do this is uh, when you should not use artificial intelligence or machine learning, and just you know maybe you get a lot of value from doing a query, or uh, you know just doing a the, doing a, a table account, a summary, right? Uh, if then statements, uh, logic, right? Uh, so uh, that's one of my challenges where I need to kind of. Uh, I, I, many times people will come with problems that are like, "Well, AI can solve all of this for us." And uh, I always ask, you know, are, is your is your data set up? Or is your data pipeline set up automatically? Or you know, are you you know, do you have analysts who are running SQL and doing these other fundamental things? Right? You need all of those things set up. So sometimes that sets up uh, some leaders for uh, maybe some um, disappointment sometimes, but uh, it is the right thing to do, right? You want to get the fundamentals down of data analysis before you go beyond. So a lot of times in my job. Uh, when they call like Amazon or like, we need an ML expert. It's probably someone that has some, some insane idea uh, for lack of a better words, that, uh, that is a good idea, but maybe, you know, um, we can make it happen. And sometimes, sometimes we can't, and sometimes, you know, there's better ways to do it than ML. So
5: I would echo what pretty much everyone else just said, having that buy-in from leadership. Um, my current job at W promote honestly was probably the first company where I didn't experience that so much anymore. Um, but I think it is very prevalent in, you know, several industries that are trying to adopt um, quote unquote AI or more advanced solutions. Um, but I would also add that for me personally, something that was very challenging for me more so earlier than is now, but it's still there is just general imposter syndrome. Um, I do still have a bit of that, but I think it's something you get kind of comfortable with and know that there is a bit of normalcy around it. Um, And to add on to that, something that I struggled with earlier on was being afraid to look like I didn't know anything by asking questions. Um, And then I learned very quickly that asking questions is like the best thing ever because people have answers sometimes which is awesome and um if they don't you learn that you're not the only one so it's it's nice to ask questions and um I would say that if you do feel imposter syndrome you'll get used to it it's almost like riding a bike or something like that
3: um, we have a question from Kim really quickly if you want to answer for those who are encoding having roles you tend to have a long working hours due to running different scripts and encountering issues. I was just curious about the work-life balance and data analytics. I can absolutely start that, answer that for you. So um, I it really depends on the company's culture. There are some companies in which it is expected that you are working 6, 7 p.m. And the company I work for at 4:35 p.m., you better log off and go enjoy your, your evening or your weekend. We don't work weekends. We don't take work home. But other companies I've worked at, that was absolutely the expectation. Um, I think that you can gauge that type of thing in the interview. Um, ask what's ex- expected of you. Um, and I've been able to avoid some companies in which that was the culture by you know, gauging uh, respectfully, that type of thing in the my interview. And if you are expected to work long hours, it does not get better. So uh, if that's not something you want, you may want to avoid a company like that
4: early. And I would say set your boundaries early so that um, you can maintain that work-life balance. Don't get caught in uh, just the constant coding, uh, the constant coding, and the constant work, because your name is not on the building. Uh, so you should have some balance. And, and JJ, I, I wish I, there were times that I ended up in, I, in a deja vu and coding was like, I knew I did this someplace else. Why did I not save it? And so that's the best advice. I wanted some of the best advice in coding uh, that I I hope that you guys take him up on that because there have been many a times where like, I know I wrote that function at this company and I wish I would have brought it with me. And I of course can recreate it, but look at all the time you spend recreating the work that you've already done. So uh, I think everyone thus far has said, all the things that you can do to make your your career in analytics even more successful by figuring out the company that works best for your work-life balance, setting boundaries, and using your own work to continue to drive your to drive your own agenda uh, wherever you choose it, wherever you end up at.
1: Okay, speaking of coding, another good question popped up in the chat. And so that is, do you think analytics is an inclusive field? And can you and people from all identity groups show up as your authentic selves, or is there code switching, um, or any other ways that you're expected to change to like fit into what already exists?
0: I I've experienced that before, where I felt like I had to be a little, you know, maybe not be my authentic self. Uh, but over time, I've just gotten more comfortable in, in my own skin and kind of the value that I bring. And, you know, I, I, I'd I say that what really helped too was um, some of my time at Facebook. Facebook was a very like bring your authentic self to work company. And um, that really helped shape some of my thinking. And I, I do the same at Amazon. I mean, I just try to be myself because it's it's way less tiring to be, you know, one way at work, speak one way at work, act one way at work, and then be a different way at home. I just try to try to be myself. And the way I see it is, you know, if, if if that's not, you know, good enough for the department or the company, then you know, it's probably not not for me, you know, not not for me to be there. Uh, you know, if I can't talk about my Nacatamales or, you know, random, <laughs> random Dia de los Muertos stuff that I'm doing with my family, if that, that doesn't get any responses or the people look at me weird of then, then that that's probably not the place I'll be. But I'll say in the beginning coming from, you know, like inner city Los Angeles and not, not really seeing people like myself. I I did feel like I kind of had to try to fit in, but you know, I would say try, try to be yourself because if the people are not there to accept you for, for who you are and what you're doing, it's, it's not, it's not the spot for you. Yeah. I mean, uh,
2: in my experience, I, you know, I haven't seen, you know, differences in the, Reception for inclusivity based off of just like the analytics function, you know. I think you you see it, you know, company to company they have different emphasis on diversity and inclusion. I I've seen it more through that perspective versus just analytics specifically. But I think you know to big piggyback off of what JJ was saying. I, as I've worked at, you know eight plus companies in my career, definitely the ones where I've been able to be myself and, you know, and had better interactions and better team dynamics with, you know, the immediate teams I either was working with or managing, uh, the happier I was and the better my performance was at those companies as well. And so I guess, you know, the biggest thing I just want to implore is, you know, as you're going through this journey as part of your, your vetting process, you know, you know, Angela touched on, you want to try to get ahead of the, the expectations from a workload perspective. I think another huge piece is, is getting a feel from a culture perspective with these companies that you're going to, just because a company has a huge name and a huge brand presence doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be happy and you're going to thrive there. I think really, you know, getting to know the people, not just the work, but on a on a personal level, to some extent, is is almost just as important as you navigate through your career path and make different decisions to figure out, you know, where you want to go with your career. So, I I think this is something that's it's extremely important and is and is a key determinant with you know not just how happy you are, but also your your performance as well too. Yeah,
4: yeah I think those points are great, but I will say though, um, there's still like uh, not a lot of people who look like me in in certain roles. And uh, so sometimes that can make it difficult to to want to bring your complete self to work. But as JJ says, as you get close, as you are in your career longer, you feel more comfortable, you know that you're brought into a role because people know that you have the skills to do the job. And while there might be a little bit more questioning uh, in some of your results from the start, as you continue to prove uh, your value, um, you become the, the go-to person. I, I will say like some of that uh, is also down to, we have to build better pipelines to ensure that that diversity and that inclusion um, and, and be intentional about it. And it also goes back to the previous question about are you gonna be coding all night? This is what Phil said about culture, what the company when you're interviewing asking specific questions about things that are important to you looking at the looking at the values of the company um what are they putting out there uh, about if dei is something that is you know to your core looking and seeing what is their company policy on this and asking them how to how are they going about meeting their goals uh, i do will say that senior leadership across most corporations is still a still a problem to, of for diversity and having senior leaders who are making those decisions on on the board. So that's I, I think that's industry agnostic. But I, I do believe like you see all of us here on this call. I mean, I think we're moving in the right direction, but there's still, there's still opportunity. There's always opportunity, uh, is how I how I feel. But I, I think there is a place of where I definitely feel more comfortable uh, being exactly who I am uh, and sharing my my vision for how I see analytics, but also how I see diversity playing in analytics at at my current company. But that was a part of their culture, and I knew that from the start.
5: Yeah, I want to add to some things that Danielle said. So, in my experience um, at my current company, I'm the only like ethnically diverse executive in tech. which is, I don't think is unusual, Um, but that's still a problem. And before I was hired, I think I was the only like black woman in the tech group period um, until we recruited some more folks. So um, I would definitely say that inclusion is something that many industries are are still working in, but especially within tech. in terms of having to like code switch or anything like that, I don't think I have that, like I don't feel like I have that necessity, but there are other things that I am very cognizant of. I'm very hyper cognizant of my hair and how it was presented. I'm very hyper cognizant of the fact that, you know, I lead a team and as a black woman, I wonder, if things that I say are received as aggressive or if things that I say are received as um, incorrect or less correct then being given the, the benefit of the doubt if I weren't a black woman. So as Daniel mentioned, I think there is sort of like, at first there's like a little hump where you have to almost overprove yourself because you're not given that benefit of the doubt upfront. But once you've proven that, it, it's fine, but the fact that you have to is also a little troublesome, but I don't say that to like discourage anyone because um, as JJ mentioned, you do kind of find your your place and you get comfortable on your own skin and you're not really concerned what people think, but the fact that it's an extra layer is to me unacceptable.
1: This is a great segue to the last part of our panel, and that is like the future of analytics. I have a lot of questions, and I want to be respectful of your time, so I'll try to keep it to just one or two more. And that is, so you mentioned a pipeline. I mean, what can we do to encourage more people to pursue um, a career in analytics? How can
4: we build that pipeline? I mean, I think it starts in elementary school. I have a four-year-old. Um, I'm always talking to him about coding. He asked me about my job. He's like, mommy, you code? I'm like, yes. I, I might not be able to teach you how to do anything with in the kitchen, like cooking. I'm not a good cook, but I can teach you how to code. And I think that's, we have to start with the kids and getting them interested and not scared of math. I I remember as a kid, when someone's like, Oh, you're good at math. Oh, wow. Oh, you know, you hear people. So they talk about math, they talk about all the technical stuff and they get scared, take away that fear. Like, and you start now and you go into all communities and you take away the fear of thinking analytically thinking in a, in a different way. And I think that's where it starts. You build those, build those connections at a very young age and continue to build it out, have Go back to high schools, sponsor programs, partner partner with co- groups like Nesby, uh, who has Nesby Junior and has competitions. We have to encourage those type of things so that we have a pipeline of folks going into the the analytics. Uh, now that we have analytics degrees, we didn't have them when I was an undergrad, but uh, pushing them, to, pushing people into this into this field because you need diversity of thought, right? And diversity of thought comes in so many ways. Of course it comes through ethnicity because of course it comes through race, but it comes through different locations and different perspectives uh growing up in the Midwest versus growing up in the East coast. So like, that is, I'm very passionate about this as you can see, but uh, like, that is my thing. You start young, I feel like, and give opportunity to everyone.
2: Yeah. That, I mean, that is so, so what's super, what's super interesting about what you just said is uh I'm leading a subcommittee at RPA right now to improve our diversity recruiting, and we're exploring all of the things you just touched on. And I think the bit, you know, one of the biggest things you said is is, is exposing, uh, you know, kids early to this field because I think classically, you know, our our organization we've had diversity recruiting efforts, but we've tried to, you know, uh, uh, catch people once they're graduating undergrad. And I think with this field because there's still not complete clarity, I think, to younger people about the impact that analytics has to a business, Um, you know, exposing them to that earlier, you know, maybe even early in high school. So we're exploring a lot of these things like partnerships with some of the local schools, um, conferences, organizations, and things like that. I think the, you know, the other piece that I'm, I'm also passionate about is, you know, once you bring in diverse, you know, candidates and talent, like how can you, uh, provide uh, mentorship and coaching to elevate them to these executive and officer level type roles. I think that's that's another piece, you know, just from my experience, I've seen efforts along those lines. I haven't seen a lot of success with companies that can follow through on that successfully. And um, that's another thing we're also exploring, like how, you know, how do you bridge that gap from, you know, the people, you know, people that are very talented, but then elevating them so that they can be in leadership positions because one thing that i you know i try to preach is you know once you have somebody like us that's leading a team you know you just have a different mindset and you're more open to bringing in inclusive environments and because of your experience so um yeah that's just another component i think that's just extremely important too
3: I would love to add that uh, given that i come from a non-traditional background i think we need to move beyond looking for computer science and statistics majors. Are as being the only ones that will be successful in this field. On my team, I've, I work with history graduates, the best coders ever. I've worked with psychology graduates, excellent coders, excellent logic, great work. Um, I found that you can, have, uh, you can be good at this and have studied things that people don't consider data science. So um, we should be looking for really helping students to build those skills um, that are that's beyond just those few majors.
1: Okay. I want to hand it off to Frini to close us out, but before we end 10 seconds each. So from the outside looking in, it looks like you guys have everything figured out, but I'm sure you still have goals and ambitions. So
0: what's next for you? I I, I want to buy some real estate and get some passive income and use my analytic skills to do that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the honest answer, right? Because Ultimately, the, these jobs—they're uh, exciting, you know. There's a lot of great work, but there's also a lot to do outside of outside of work. So I'm really big into like financial independence and try to build, you know, generational wealth for myself with the good position that that I've had. That's really really important to me. So as I, I, although I'm very committed to my job. I would say um, not, you know, doing the hundred hours like I was when I barely started to feel like I had to prove myself. Now I'm gonna take some of those rewards and really, you know, put them into some passive income. Uh, yeah, Zillow needs some help with that. Yeah, ping me on LinkedIn. I got, I got, I got a, I got a patent actually for some real estate technology I'm working on. So working on some some side hustles on the side because it can't work forever. <laughs> That's really my next thing.
4: Uh, well, my next thing, I, I agree with JJ, I'm building out my portfolio, definitely, um, but I really am interested in trying to train the next generation. Currently at my job, the rotational program that I co-manage, I'm doing that part-time with my actual full-time job. And so I'm trying in, in the process of trying to make that a full-time rotational program at my company, as well as building out different community opportunities to learn more about data science, to learn more about coding, to bring it to, there are a lot, lots of great groups already, but there's still lots of communities that are under, underserved and I want to serve them.
5: I can go next, um, but I do want to call on, I do not have everything figured out and that is completely okay. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable with that actually, rather than try to strictly plan everything. Um, like have a plan, but have some flexibility in there. Um, For me, obviously starting a new job next month. Um, I just got married a couple months ago. So my husband and I are trying to plan out what our future might look like with maybe children or something. And so um, that more than likely means leaving LA um, for us because it's expensive here. And, I'm like I said, I'm from the Midwest. I'm basic. I don't need a lot. I just need a home that I like. So, um, buying a home, uh, maybe having a kid and honestly relaxing a little bit. I've hustled a lot in my twenties, um, to get to where I am. And now I, I don't want to like be lazy, but I do want to enjoy life too. So, um, maybe doing some traveling and, uh, just relaxing. Yeah.
3: I, I'll disclose I just had a baby so I'm a brand new mom and for me I just I'm really starting to enjoy life uh, I've been focused so much on career I'm still going to work still going to be in analytics but now I'm starting to focus on what's life life after 5 p.m. and uh, hiking and doing playing board games with my husband and the baby well when she understands that so I'm trying to live and I don't have it figured out yet.
2: I guess I'll, uh, I'll bring us home here. Um, yeah, I also I definitely don't have everything figured out. Um, I guess what's next for me, you know, I, uh, I'm in a really interesting spot in my agency. I'm helping to grow a practice, but um, uh, I, I've always had, you know, side creative entertainment interests. and this is going to be a shameless plug, but I just launched a podcast for our agency called clear the air. and I'm excited about it. It's focused on highlighting uh, leaders in marketing and advertising, but we also are going to be touching on a lot of topics like this, like diversity and inclusion in not just the advertising space, but just in general for a corporation. So um, I'm hoping that can serve as a mechanism to have more of these types of conversations and you know inspire you know, more of the younger people to pursue fields like this and, and others in, in advertising. So that's a big thing that I'm excited about. And hopefully you all can subscribe to to boost our numbers a little bit and make me look good too. (laughs) And now a special Martin Luther King Day message from RPA's very own Hannah Samad.
6: Hi, this is Hannah Samad. I'm the Associate Director of Digital Strategy at RPA. Thank you for having me on the podcast today. Um, For me, the teachings and example of Martin Luther King have guided me differently in different phases of my life. Um, So when I was younger, Dr. King's belief in the power of peaceful protest to make real change in the world um, and just regular people kind of standing up for what they believe in helped inspire me to see myself as um, having the potential to be an agent of change. And I was active in international human rights campaigns and political protests. And speaking up for what I believed in was a huge part of how I saw myself. Um, but then in college, and the early years of my career, I'm ashamed to say I lost that a little bit. I became more focused on my own life, and I, I lost some of the, the fire and passion to speak up for what was right and take action against the things that I saw around me that were wrong. So today, I'm finding energy and inspiration from Dr. King's teachings and sermons about love and perseverance. For example, in the summer of 2020, RPA committed to the Infor 13 pledge. It's a movement for accountability to increasing diversity in the advertising industry. It's a pledge to have agency leadership that reflects the diversity of the country and specifically to have black talent who are especially underrepresented in the industry overall and even more so at the executive level represent 13 percent of agency leadership by 2023. So I've been working on this effort since then. And while we have made some strides forward, uh, I've realized this is not a short-term goal. And I've come face-to-face with the complexities of the structural inequality and um, so so much that's the reason that we landed here in the first place as an industry. And so it's easy to get frustrated and, and overwhelmed. But Dr. King spoke about persevering and not allowing yourself to be distracted or dissuaded from the goal of equality. And he taught to always come from a place of love because love is the only way to bring people on board, to change minds, to change behavior. You can't change people by meeting resistance with more resistance. And so today I'm leaning on Dr. King to remind me to lead from love and to keep my eye on the ball and not lose sight of the end goal, no matter how long it takes.
2: We hope you enjoyed that episode and insightful commentary from Hannah. Expect to see more of that over the next couple of months with future episodes from even more RPA team members. Coming later this week, we will be having a deep dive discussion into some of RPA's greatest creative spots from 2021. And next week, we will be having an interesting profile of Allison Hartso from Ambition Data, who recently released the book, The Age of Customer Equity. Uh, definitely a fascinating read for any organization looking for new ways to grow their businesses. Please hit us up at RPA underscore advertising on Twitter or Instagram with any comments or feedback and hope to see you all soon.